were uh, praying for me last week while I was away at the Citadel or with a retreat, students from the Citadel and some from ECU. Uh, it was a challenging time. I'm not normally a college speaker, but uh, I think God was faithful in the midst of that and I greatly appreciate your prayers. I don't think you know how much your prayers matter in the preaching ministry of our church. Let's just say it's in your best interest to pray for me when, when I preach, here or there. So um, let's take a moment and pray. I'll, I'll pray for you and you can pray for me. Okay. Father, here, here we sit. Um, we're tired and we're distracted and some of us are here under compulsion and We need, we need to be directed to you. We need to sit in front of you and hear from you. And so I, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would keep them alert, though they be tired, that you would help them focus, even if they're distracted, and that even if they're proud, they would submit today to the truth that you're about to bring through your word. Thank you that your word's true for us every day, every place. And I pray now that you would find my words useful in exalting this good truth that we have. We ask this in the name of Christ for his glory. Amen. All right, guys, I want you to think with me about a couple of scenarios. And ladies, I want you to just think like a guy with me for a minute. Uh, Guys, imagine that they are auditioning people for a leading role in a new upcoming action film, okay? And there are two scripts that you get a chance to choose which one you're going to audition for. First script, it's a swashbuckler action kind of movie. Um, Think something like the Alamo where you're holed up in a fort fighting valiantly, waiting for rescue to arrive. And as you are fighting bravely, working from the inside out against the enemy, rescue finally arrives from the outside, and them fighting their way in, you fighting your way out, you meet at the gate, the enemy is slain, and you are exalted as a kind of co-hero from the inside, at least an associate hero, maybe Hero Junior, something. You're important, and you did good, and you fought bravely. That's script number one. Script number two, same scenario, swashbuckling action movie. You're holed up in the fort. Enemy has you surrounded, but you're not fighting so well. In fact, uh, you're cowering under a staircase. Okay? You're, you're pitiful, pathetic, and helpless. Rescue finally comes, they break through the gate, they deliver everybody, they hear this whimpering sound, they finally find you, (laughs) drag you out, and you are um, greatly loved, greatly rescued, but not celebrated, and the hero rides off alone into the sunset. So, guys, which script would you choose? Which script do you want to be a part of? I mean, do you want to be Woody Allen or The Rock, okay? <laughs> Who are you going to be? Um, 
if we could choose almost to a man, we want to be at least the co-hero. Nobody wants to be the pathetic loser. What if this is a script not for a movie, uh, but for your life? Okay. And um, who would you be then? You're going to be Woody Allen? You're going to be The Rock? Who are you, who are you going to choose? Um, it turns out, in life, it's kind of a moot point because you really don't get to choose scripts in life. Turns out in life, one of these scripts is true and one of these scripts is false. And so the question is not which script do I like, the question is which script's true, which, which one really rings true. And I think way back when the church was new, in the first century in Corinth, these two kind of scripts were swirling around the church and And the church is trying to figure out which one's true. Um, And Paul, in the first chapter and now the second chapter of Corinthians that we've been studying together, 1 Corinthians, he's been trying to get across to them that the second script is really their story, not the first. In real life, spiritually speaking, they're pathetic victims, not co-heroes. They keep wanting to be proud of themselves and of their spiritual standing um, by who they associate with, we've seen. For instance, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, oh, I'm of Jesus. And as a result, they're dividing up the church because they want to be better than everybody else. They think they're more important. Um, And Paul has been clear. He will not let the church suffer division for their vanity. He also says they don't have any boasting rights in their story. In the scripts that's true, they have nothing to boast about. God in Christ has delivered them by the cross, leaving no room to boast, except in Christ. Remember, Noah taught this last week from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, things like us, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Script number two, Paul says, that's our script. No boasting. We're not co-heroes, spiritually speaking. We're the needy victim in need of rescue. And it it really is goofy when the needy victim boasts after being rescued. Okay? It's just kind of absurd. There was a, just, I think it was just like a week or two ago, uh, there was a rescue up in Lansing, Michigan, a uh, police sergeant named Guy Pace. They're calling him a hero because he dove into the uh, chilly uh, March waters of the Grand River to save the life of a woman who jumped from a bridge. Without thinking, 
Uh, without thinking twice, Sergeant Pace dove in, swam out to her, and he said she would went down and was approximately about a foot, foot and a half under when I got to her. Like I said, she was unresponsive. She was just dead weight. And after he grabbed the unconscious woman, raised her head above the water during the rescue, three other officers pulled Pace and the 43 woman by rope to shore, and she was recovering at a hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, they said. But they said, if not for Sergeant Pace's action, this woman would have died. She was going down. Now imagine, what if they interviewed this woman? Okay, they went to the hospital, and they interview, and she says something like this. Yeah, he couldn't have pulled off the rescue without me. Um, you know, I was, in fact, uh, I've been training a lot, been on a diet, lost some weight. If I hadn't lost that weight, he'd have gone down, pretty much. I'm pretty much the co-hero in this whole story. Isn't that absurd? You don't want to say, lady, you have no boasting rights. You're dead in the water. And the guy pulled you out. What in the world? See, Paul is writing to the Corinthians in part to protect them from the absurdity of boasting in their spiritual condition. He doesn't even want them boasting about him. Um, So he's careful about what he says and how he says it. Remember, um, again, from the teaching last week in chapter 2, the first two verses, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. So Paul is careful not to draw attention to himself. Um, He doesn't want any boasting in anybody except Christ. And this is not just a first century problem. It's our problem. Pastors and professors want to be famous. Or at least we'd like to be published. Um, And people want to be associated with with famous, successful, published pastors and professors. They kind of establish our superiority by who we're attached to. I'm of Jeff. Man, he gives it to you straight. Challenge, right between the eyes. Jeff. Yeah, baby. Bring on Jeff. I'm of Noah. Kind of hip, fuzzy, (laughs) doctrinal. You know, doctrine of good stuff. I'm of Larry. Nice sweater vest? I don't know what it is, but um, we we so want to be superior that we'll even do it by attaching it to our favorite spiritual leaders. It's crazy. And in our passage today, we're going to start in verse 6 and go through the rest of chapter 2. Paul is desperately trying to protect the church, their church and our church, and protect, from, from competing with the glory of God from much lesser competition, people like me and you. By reminding us today of yet another reason that we shouldn't be boasting. Um, 
So start in verse 6. Paul says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Okay, so he's not saying, he's not bringing wisdom. He's just not bringing it all wrapped up in a fancy package. He's bringing wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. Wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined, destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Paul, though he resisted the temptation to be eloquent and oratorical and flashy in his delivery to the people and to embrace the, the prevailing wisdom of the day, um, he does bring a different kind of wisdom. He brings a different script for the people of God to live by. See, the script of the wisdom of this age, Paul calls it, it exalts men as great And in the first century, great orators, great speakers, they were the rock stars. They had groupies following around and listening to what they said, hanging on every word. And Paul, because he believed that script two is the right script, the true script, um, plays down his own rhetoric. So there's only going to be one hero in Paul's story. No confusion. Only Christ gets the glory in Paul's story, in the true script, which is the wisdom of God, Paul says. It's a secret wisdom. It's a mystery. That is, it hasn't been fully revealed until Christ came, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. And then it became clear. And the mature get it. Mature is just another way Paul's saying in this chapter, believers Those of us who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, we get it. We're the mature in his language. Um, But the movers and shakers in Paul's day, they didn't get it. They thought it was foolishness. So foolish that they crucified the Christ rather than worship it. They They just didn't get it. The wisdom that Paul's speaking about when he talks about wisdom here is the wisdom of God's plan in bringing a crucified Messiah. It's a script, oddly enough, where the hero dies. Remember, uh, we saw it back in chapter 1. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the wisdom he's speaking about here is the script that involves a crucified Messiah. That's the one he's promoting. That's the only script that he'll, he'll push. And even in our day, we get it. Believers get this. Okay? We understand the gospel. We get it. Most of the movers and shakers in our day, just like the first century, they don't get it. And so you hear things like this. This is from Gene Roddenberry. You know him as the creator of Star Trek. He says... Religions vary in their degree of idiocy, but I reject them all. For most people, religion is nothing more than a substitute for a malfunctioning brain. He thinks it's foolishness. 
And another one of the great philosophers of our day, Jesse the Body Ventura, who unbelievably was a governor as well as a Navy SEAL and a professional wrestler, he said, organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. For people like Gene Roddenberry, Jesse Ventura, the gospel of a crucified Messiah is foolishness. Um, You think about it, and the great promoters of wisdom in our day, they don't get this. At least they don't promote this story. Oprah doesn't promote it. Dr. Phil doesn't promote it. Rush doesn't promote it. They don't get it. Okay. But those of us who believe, we do. Now, at this point in time, the danger is we can begin to feel pretty good about ourselves. We got one on Oprah. We're up one on Rush. We get it. They don't. Aren't we special? No, we're not. Paul takes this away from us in the verses that follow. Look at verse 10, back in our chapter. Uh, But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So we get it. We understand the wisdom of the script of Christ crucified. Not because we're smarter, not because we're well-read, not because we're somebody special. We get it for one reason and one reason only. God has given us His Spirit who has revealed it to us. That's why. It's, it's all of God. It's all by His Spirit. He, he continues in verse 11 talking about this. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This wisdom, God's wisdom, can only be known by God's Spirit because only the Spirit knows the thoughts of God, Paul says. Just like you don't know what I'm thinking right now. You, You can't know that. Now, I did find out there is a, um, there's a mind-reading app for your iPhone uh, that you can get. But even that app can only figure out what I'm thinking in 20 questions. And then only if I'm thinking about an animal or a mineral. Okay. <laughs> you, you just can't know. He's saying the same thing. We can't know what God's thinking. Only the spirit of the triune God knows that and can reveal that to us. Because the the Spirit enables us, we know. Um, But only because the Spirit enables. We We don't get any boasting rights in the salvation process for what was done because Christ did it all for us on the cross, right? Christ did it all. And now, we don't even get any boasting rights for figuring it out because the Spirit did it all. The Spirit gave it to us. It's all of God, Paul says. No boasting rights in this script. Um, He continues in verse 13. He said, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. 
The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul, even Paul doesn't get any glory because the words he speaks are, are given him to by the Spirit. Okay? He gets no credit in this thing. And we can't take credit for figuring it out. It's because and only because the Spirit enables us. And not only does He enable us, He makes us willing to embrace it. You look at verse 14 and it says, Without the Spirit, people do not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. If it wasn't for the Spirit given to us, we would reject all this as foolishness. I mean, this is what typically people without the Spirit are thinking. They're thinking, who wants to be Woody Allen when I can write a script where I'm the rock? Okay? Who, who wants to be all helpless and snivelly in need of deliverance? And, and when the hero finally comes, he's humble. And there's nothing particularly attractive about him. He never wrote a book. He has no political position. He never traveled more than 100 miles or so from his hometown. This less than exciting action hero who finally shows up manages to get himself arrested as a common criminal and not just killed but executed in the most humiliating and disgusting way known to man in that day. He got himself crucified. Who wants that script? That's foolishness. Give me a script where I get to be co-hero or at least something other than a helpless victim in all of this. See, me, on my own, <clears throat> with my wisdom, apart from the Spirit of God, I don't get this. I don't want that second script. It's foolishness to me. Paul wraps it up this way. He says, the spiritual man. Okay, now that's not like super spiritual, especially spiritual. Like, I'm going to be a, uh, an elder or a professor spiritual. Okay. Anybody who has the Spirit, in what, the way he's using the language here, is spiritual. That's what it means to be spiritual. You have the Spirit. You believe. You know Christ. He said, the spiritual man, believers, makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. He's saying that apart from the Spirit, who, who understands God's mind? You can't apart from the Spirit. But we have the mind of Christ by the Spirit. We get it. We get the gospel. That we really were trapped in that battle, pathetic and pitiful and helpless. And truth be known, we'd even, we'd even gone over to the other side and Christ came and gave His life so we could be free. We have the mind of Christ on this matter. We believe that script that we were helpless and in great need of a deliverer and Paul says elsewhere, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's our script. That's our story for everyone who believes. It is a script with no boasting rights. It is a script full of grace and mercy and the love of God, even for us. And you catch little inklings of that, even in the few verses we're looking at. If we back up to verse 7, Paul says, Oh, we speak of God's secret wisdom, right? A wisdom that has been hidden, and God destined it for our glory before time began. This is an incredible plan that God put in place before time began so that we one day would be fully saved and glorified in heaven with Him. He did it for us. He destined this to, to play out for us. The next couple of verses, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. We can't figure it out apart from the Spirit. But it is done for those who love him. God, this is a great preparation. This crucifixion of his son is this great demonstration of love and care for the father, for those who love him. Um, That which the rulers, even the rulers of the day can't figure out, it's been shown to us by God's grace with the Spirit. As we close today, let's make coming to this table our first response to the teaching of the word today. How should we come to the table? Well, we we should come to the table humbly, with no boasting and great thankfulness for two reasons. For the great work of Christ on our behalf, He shed His blood, His body was beaten and broken and nailed to a cross for us. Peter says it this way, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And so we come humbly and we celebrate that. We also give thanks for the gift of the Spirit that has enabled us to believe. Paul says, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. He's given us His Son. We come to the table to remember that and to celebrate that and to worship Him for that. So do you believe this script Do you believe this gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to deliver helpless sinners like you and like me? From our sins, by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead on the third day, do you believe that? In this room, there are people who believe it and there are people who don't. There are people who are pretending to believe it. There are people who are thinking about believing it. If you haven't believed it yet, and today it's making sense to you, then that's the gift of God for you. You should believe today. You shouldn't leave without believing, without believing that Christ died for your sins and ordering your life on that truth from this point forward.
This is the gift of God for you. You should respond today with faith and you should believe. Now, if you already have believed this script of a crucified Messiah who in love gave himself for you, then this table is for you to come humbly and to remember his love and kindness towards you. And we want to do that together as God's church at North Wake. We want to remember that on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, in like fashion, he took a cup and he explained to them that this was the new covenant that was in his blood, which was for the the forgiveness of their sins. He said, do this also in remembrance of me. Let's pray.